If you are able, please stand to show reverence to the Lord as we join in hearing his word. Our Old Testament reading this morning comes from Ezekiel 37, verses 1 through 14. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and it will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin. And put breath in you, and you shall live. And you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them. And flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, Our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord, when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. Our New Testament reading is Romans 8, verses 6 through 11. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it cannot submit to God's law. Indeed, it does not. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although your body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this, the reading of your word. We thank you that through your word, Lord, you speak and we live. Help us now, Lord, to listen and indeed continue your work of infusing and growing the life of Christ in us for the glory of his name. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You know, zombie movies and TV shows 
have been quite popular from the Night of the Living Dead to the Walking Dead, World War Z, and even now, something of late, is uh, zombie rom-coms. That's romantic comedies for some of you. And I know it makes no sense, but but you know, zombie. So zombie movies, you know, they're they're a popular tool in 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 that genre of of horror movies, and they're they're attempts at making social commentary. So so yeah, the zombie is mindless. So it's like mindless conformity to what's happening. And they're just driven by their passion. So it's attempt. It's an attempt at at at, at making social commentary. For instance, in the Night of the Living Dead, which is more than 50 years ago, it, it introduced a black man as a lead, and he's the hero in the story. And this is significant since at, it was that the, that same year Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. Now George. Romero, he didn't have that in mind whenever he cast Dwayne Jones for the part. He says that he just gave him the part because he had the best performance out of all of those who tried. But Jones and Romero tried, they, they rewrote a lot of the script. And Romero was wanting to rewrite the ending so that Jones's character, Ben, would live at the end. However, Jones, he wanted it to end the way Romero had originally written it, with Ben being killed in the end. And if you remember the movie, maybe, maybe you saw the movie, you, you, he was Jones, he survives the night in the farmhouse, and, and he he's kills the zombies, and, and he's, he's the only one to emerge from the house, and then he's killed <laughs> by the locals who thought he was a zombie. They weren't able to distinguish the living from the living dead. So Jones said this, he said, I convinced George that the black community would rather see me dead than saved after all that had gone on. In a corny and symbolically confusing way, the heroes never die in American movies. The jolt of that and the double jolt of the hero figure being black seemed like a double-barreled whammy. So despite his best efforts, Jones' character, Ben, the hero, dies in the end. And the Night of the Living Dead ends with hopelessness and, and the hero couldn't save himself. And that's kind of the way a lot of zombie movies end. And you say, well, you know, Pastor, that's a little macabre that you're talking about zombie movies. I don't even like horror movies. And I, I get that. I, I understand that. But, you know, so, so, so those, those, those horror, horror movies, you know, they're really addressing the horror of the life that we, that we live on this planet. Now, there, there is, there is, there's horror in this world, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and the Bible addresses it as well, because when you look at, Ezekiel 37, is that not macabre? You know, here, here, Ezekiel, he's in a valley filled with dry bones. This is most probably the scene of a, a great battle where, where the bodies were, were left unburied. Kind of like gun smoke after Matt Dillon shoots the guy and they just leave him in the street and they walk off and get a drink at Kitty's. 
Yeah. No, but they're all, they're all laying there. Now, and, and so, so you imagine, and, and you're standing there, and you're looking at all of these bones, all of these bodies. Wouldn't you be sad? You'd be, you'd be, you'd be heartbroken. Because it's like, you know, what, what can be done here? It looks so final. And God looks at Ezekiel and says, son of man, can these bones live? What, can, what else could Ezekiel do except for defer to God? Now, oh, Lord, only you know. So, yeah. Can you imagine having to preach to a bunch of bones? I'm glad you all have flesh. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm out of here. No. <laughs> But can you imagine? So, so you know, there, there's, a, there's a house over here on the corner of Walker Road at Independence, and in the front yard, there's this big skeleton standing there. Can you imagine walking up, preaching to it? You're preaching to, to this large skeleton standing in the front yard, and all of a sudden, muscle and skin begins to appear on the feet. You look up and the eyeballs are, are starting to fill the, the empty sockets. You look at the mouth and, and lips are, are, are starting to, to, to form and, and ears are, are starting to protrude from the sides of, of the skulls. And hair is growing and, and the appendages are, are being wrapped in nerves and blood vessels and, and tendons and, and skin. And what would you do? Ah! Yeah. I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah. But Ezekiel had to stay there. He had to stay there and preach. And they became, they had their bodies back. And they're standing there. But they were zombies. Until, until Ezekiel was told and commanded to prophesy to the breath, the spirit. The spirit entered them and they lived and stood on their feet. And the Bible says they became an exceedingly great army. So from reading Ezekiel 37 and Romans 6 through 11, we get the impression that God hates death. And whenever he encounters dead things, he makes them live. Ezekiel 37, we have God confronting, you remember in the text, this, it's the hopelessness of the people. There were, that was, it was the hopelessness that the people felt. Their circumstances were such that it had them saying, our bones are dried up. Our hope is lost. We indeed are cut off. See, God, who raises the dead, lifts their head with the word of his promise. In verse 14, and I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. And then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. And in Romans 6, through 8, 8, 6 through 11, it seeks to give to the people of God an understanding of what it means to have the Spirit of God living in you. God engages our, our reason by forcing us to think about the ramification of Christ being in you as opposed to not having Christ. So if you don't know, if you don't know how to think about your new life in Christ, you might as well be a zombie, mindlessly living in conformity to the world and your flesh that is hostile to God. But Christ in us is the source of life 
and peace, and as such, we belong to him. And in belonging to him, Christ, by his spirit, fixes us inside and out. And that's the outline, and that's what's in the text there in Romans chapter 8. So let's look at this. Christ in us is the source of life and peace. Look at what he says. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. See, Romans 8 it's, you're halfway through the book, you know, and, and here, I mean, it's the zenith of the letter. It's, it's the pinnacle of the letter. And here, Paul's logic is on fire. He's, his, his mind is, is, is working, and he's making us think about the implications of the righteousness that is ours by faith in Jesus Christ. What God has done in bringing us this righteousness. Paul wants his readers to understand how good and how beautiful, how grand and how superior the grace of God is. And he wants us to live confidently in the truth that where sin abounded, Grace did much more abound. He aims to make us know what it means to be justified by faith, to be heirs of the world as children of Abraham and as descendants of the second Adam, Jesus Christ. See, Christians are not called to act like they have heads full of mush. To think about, is what he's saying, think about the difference between the flesh and the spirit. Think about the difference between the death that you were living and the life you now have. See, according to the Bible, there are two kinds of mindset. There's the flesh and there's the spirit. And, we're per and we are persuaded to think, to use our head about the mindset of the flesh and the mindset of the spirit. The flesh, Paul says, is death. Well, what does that mean? Because what is the flesh? Well, it's, it's obvious that Paul's not talking about skin and bone because later he talks about the resurrection of the body and he doesn't use the same word that is here translated flesh. The flesh is the inner nature of man apart from God. And we're told five things about the flesh. It's death. It's hostile toward God. It doesn't submit to the law of God. It, it's not capable of submitting to God's law, it cannot please God. And if that's the flesh, then what does it mean for the mind to be set on the flesh? That's a good question. The phrase mindset means to cherish, to be harmonious, to direct your mind so that you seek and strive for that thing. So in this case, that you're seeking and striving for, you're cherishing and you're harmonious with the flesh. So to set your mind on the flesh, you're pursuing death and hostility towards God, not submitting to God's law, which is the reflection of God himself, and not capable to submit, and you cannot please God in pursuing the flesh. And you might think, and what Paul is, is pushing us to, who would consciously choose that? Yet, if you don't have faith in Jesus Christ, if Christ is not in you, that is what you're choosing moment by moment every day. You're courting death. You're a zombie. 
Despite your best efforts, you're dead. But by contrast, the spirit is life and peace. What With the spirit, you get life. And life is that, that quality of being, that quality of existence in, the, in existence in the presence of God. Having the very life of Christ. Oh, is that, yeah, do you, you believe that? That what you have is the very life of Christ? And making, making it a life, having Christ's life in us, it makes it a life that cannot be destroyed. And it's indomitable as it operates as a law, as, and thus freeing us from the law of sin and death. As Romans 8.2 says, the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So, that's, this, is, this, is, this, is, this is life. The spirit gives life. But the spirit is also peace. And that's a word that means a lot more than just tranquility or, or, or the exemption of, from war. It's the equivalent of the Hebrew word shalom. So the spirit is peace, it's security, it's prosperity, it's harmony, it's peace between individuals, making it and keeping things safe and, and prosperous. It's everything working together for good. That's, 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 that's peace. So life and peace, the spirit gives life and peace. And who, Paul would push us to say, to think, who would, wouldn't consciously choose this? But if Christ is in you, these things are already and always true of you. Hallelujah. God's grace, made available through faith in Jesus Christ, has accomplished these things for you. And since Christ in you is life and peace, then it must mean we belong to him. Look at verses 9 and 10. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Isn't it a comforting thought that Paul starts out by letting us know that, that we're not in the flesh? Hallelujah. See, how, and how does he know this? It's because Christ has placed his spirit in us. Now here is a good here's a good practice. And when you're reading the scripture, it's always most important for you to acknowledge and recognize the action of God or Christ or of the spirit. You know, because you can easily get to thinking too often as you read the Bible about yourself, your thoughts, what impression you're making, how is it affecting you and and you get used to looking at yourself. And you miss what God has done and is doing. See, you don't belong to yourself. You belong to Christ. And that's, that, 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 that is a hard thing to get across to Americans, to American Christians, but it's true. You, be, you don't belong to yourself. You belong to Christ. And how do we come to belong to Christ? Well, it's through his death on our behalf. He redeemed us. This is what 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 tells us. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You see, whenever Christ saves people, 
it's spoken of in, in terms of a transaction. Like here in the text, they're bought with a price. In Revelation 5.9, we are ransomed. Listen to what it says. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals where you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. See, we belong to Christ by virtue of his sacrifice on our behalf. Think is what Paul is saying. Think as you set your mind on the spirit. If Christ didn't sacrifice himself for you and his spirit is not in you, then you do not belong to God. You're hostile towards God. You cannot please God. You're not free. And the condemnation resulting from your violation of the law is still upon you. See, this is what Paul means when he says, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to God him. So friends, take comfort in belonging to Jesus. Because if you belong to Christ, you are beloved. Hallelujah. And you've you've heard it said, faith is not about feelings. And that's true. Faith invokes a lot of feelings though. It's what you know, what you understand, what you believe about the scriptures, what you believe it is saying to you. Yeah, it evokes a lot of feelings. That's why I find it hard to contain myself sometimes when I'm up here. You know, yeah, so, so, so you see, do you feel, do you feel the love of God on your heart? Taking it in? And, you're not, and I'm not talking, talking about just working up your emotions, I'm talking about the truth and what so your heart is that part of you where you where you believe things deeply that that's where so whatever it is that you're doing you you do it from your heart and you do it because that's what you believe in your heart and you so there are things that are set off in you when you're a child you say something in to yourself and you're, you're saying it in your heart and it's a thing that you possess and you so I know I know this, this is to be true that this is true because I I struggled for a long time to, to let the love of God embrace my heart. And it wasn't until uh, some years ago going through Sonship there at New City Con and I went through Sonship and we, had, we heard Jack Miller, I heard Jack Miller talking about being an orphan and having this orphan mentality. You know, and and, and he, as he described it, you know, I thought, that's me. You know, after, after my parents were killed and we were orphaned, I had said about doing everything on my own. I had, if, if, if it was to be accomplished, I needed to do it. And not only did I have to do it, you know, I, I had to do everything. And, and not only did I have to do everything because I couldn't depend on anyone else to do it, I had to do everything so that I could please people. And I had to be, I had to be pleasing to people or else they wouldn't want me. My aunt, who took in seven of us, she only wanted me if I behaved right. That's what, I, that's, what I, that's what I thought. She never said anything like that to me. In fact, she showed just the opposite. But that's what I believed in my heart, that she would only want me if I behaved right. If I pleased her with my good behavior and I applied that same mind to God, that I had to please him, that I wasn't pleasing to him, and I wasn't pleasing to him because I was a sinful man. And I kept that way of thinking for years, even as a Christian, until going through sonship 
And I heard that orphan mentality. And as he described it, that's me. I have been like that all of my life. I was not letting the grace of God fill my heart, the love of God. And I began to understand God is pleased with me in Jesus Christ. In Christ, what the text says in Galatians, I am no longer an orphan, but a son. I belong to him. Not by my efforts, not by my efforts to please God, but because Jesus pleased God. And the pleasure that God has in Jesus is the pleasure that he has in me. That changed my whole way of thinking. It changed, my, it changed my whole experience with the Christian life. It changed my whole, my, my, it changed my preaching. And, and I began to understand what Jesus is saying in John 17. Look what he says as he prays this prayer. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Do you hear Jesus' prayer? Love them even as you loved me. Love them like you love me. Would you let that truth embrace your heart? Would you let that, that God loves you in the same way that he loves his son? Who else would love you like that? You see, belonging to Jesus right now means there's no condemnation. It means that there is applied liberation by the spirit as well as this righteous requirement of the law fulfilled in us. Life and peace and righteousness. The latter half of verse 10 says the spirit is life because of righteousness. Do you know what righteousness is? It's having things set right again. It, it, it's what was crooked and bent being straightened out. It's fixing what was wrong in us and around us. See, belonging to Christ is to have things set right again. Things with God, things with our fellow man, and with the planet, and with the universe. That everything is set right. Now, we tend to think too small about the righteousness of God being brought into our lives. We think that people typically think of it as, as this individualistic moral piety and moral uprightness, that that's what's being given to us. But it's much more than that. See, we don't think in terms of God and Christ setting everything right. You know what I mean? And so uh, when you think of it that way and you read Romans 1.17 where it talks about the suppression of righteousness you know, and, and that, that there's a righteousness from God apart from the law, that, that when you start thinking that that's what it is, that that's what God, that's a, that's a whole nother thing, isn't it? Yeah, that's something completely different. So what we understand then is that the gospel is not merely about personal salvation. As great and as grand as that is, but it's, that's not what it's merely about. So you got to recall the opening of the letter. Because listen to how Paul describes the gospel in Romans 1.5. He says, Jesus Christ our Lord, that's in the verse 4 in the ESV, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. 
including you who were called to belong to Jesus Christ. So the gospel is not mainly about saving souls from heaven, but it's about Christ redeeming and renewing a whole new people for himself. Hallelujah. And therefore, the spirit is life because he is setting things right, things inside and outside. This is point number three, and I've got to hurry. So if Christ, look at verse 10 and 11. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Do you see there the, the, the inside, outside fixing of things? It's in the spirit at work in winning the war against the flesh, our inner nature that is hostile to God, but he also takes care of our bodies too. See, the body, it says, is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. And then Paul calls us to reason once again. Think about this. If the spirit of him, God, who raised Jesus from the dead, he, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. No other faith is like Christianity. No other faith is like. So, so Hinduism believes that there are cycles to death. Karma is at work. Good karma, bad karma. Good actions, bad actions. Good actions lead to good merit. Bad actions lead to negative merit. And that, and that will determine your soul's rebirth. Not, not, it is not a new, you're, you're not new in your body. You're not, you don't remain yourself. You know, yeah, it's, it's your soul's rebirth. And Buddhism believes that nirvana is achieved through, nirvana is enlightenment. And nirvana is achieved through good actions, concentration, and to, in order to gain that enlightenment. And once nirvana is achieved, then the cycle of rebirth is stopped. And once again, it's not about your body, it's, but it's, it's, all, it's about you, you internally. And, you may, and, and then you may choose to be reborn to help others become enlightened. Now what you're reborn into, you don't know. You were human, but you might be an insect. Yeah. Islam says there are 14 stages to life after death. Now, resurrection is stage four and can be soul and body, but not necessarily together. So in all, in all of these, in all three of these, you're, you're still a zombie trying to give yourself life. And, but these, and these, these religions would rather see you dead than saved. And how do you distinguish between the living and the living dead? It's Christ in you. You see, and only Christianity promises that those who have Christ's spirit in them will have their bodies come alive. It's right now, the scripture says, the body is subject to death because of sin, but the time is coming when we will receive the body, a body that is like Christ. Christ's glorious body. We will have a building from God whose house is not made with human hands, eternal in the heavens. Yeah, this mortal will put on immortality. That's the promise that God makes to his people. And so Ezekiel was right to defer to God in, in answering the question, son of man, can these bones live? Oh Lord, only you know. See, the Spirit of God is the guarantee of the glories that are to come. See, that means that every choice you and I make today 
matters greatly for eternity. Every decision is moving us toward those new bodies, toward that future of glory in Christ. So the mind, the mind set on the spirit ends in life. So let me ask you, are you feeling hopeless? Are you thinking that somehow there's no way out? There's no, there's no way for bones to live. I'm dead. Is your grief swallowing you up? Is your present circumstance so heavy to you that you can't see tomorrow? Hear the word of God. Because the scripture is telling us that this righteousness, it is right for God to give us this new life in Christ. Because Christ died in our place, took on the judgment for our sins, the righteousness of God demands that the spirit of life raises all in whom Christ lives from the dead. See, Michael Byrd in his commentary in Romans, he says this, righteousness reigns in life through resurrection life. Thus, God's righteousness is a verdict that vivifies. Yes, when God declared you right, he declared you alive. Hallelujah. Yeah. And how righteous is that? It's so righteous that Christ is only the firstborn from the dead. Isn't that what Romans 8, 29 tells us? For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. See, God is life. And whenever he sees death, he has the power. He's able to call you to life. And I love this, what Michael Bird says too. He says this about our assurance. He says the ground of assurance is not in ourselves or even in our experiences, but in the gospel. In the grace offered us in Christ and in the mercy of God, we can rest rather than be restless about our eternal state. Yes, brothers and sisters, there's strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Since unlike the hero in the night of the living dead who despite his efforts still dies at the end, Jesus, our hero, dies for us and the result of his best efforts brings life and righteousness to tens, thousands of ten thousands of his people, of all of God's people. So if Christ is in you, you have the source of life and peace. And as such, it means you belong to him. And in belonging to him, Christ, by his spirit, fixes you both inside and out. Brothers and sisters, you belong to him and you are beloved. Let's pray. Lord, How great is your grace. Lord, how desperately we need the mind of Christ in these days in which we live. Because you have already spoken, you have already declared that you will put your spirit in us, that you will open our graves, that you will raise us, and that you, Lord Jesus, and that in doing this, you will make yourself known. Oh, Father, make yourself known to us and to the watching world for the glory of Christ in whose name we pray, amen.